2. Exodus chapter 2. This will be our second sermon in the series, God, uh, Moses, God's Servant. Um, last week we looked at how God was preparing Moses and protecting him at his birth. Today we're going to look at God looks beyond our failures. God has plans uh, to use Moses to deliver his people from Egypt. He has plans for all of his people. Do you ever think about what plans God has for you? Well, today we're going to see how our failures do not stop God's plans. It didn't stop him from using Moses. How many of you all failed in your service to God? I have. I think, I'm, I think we all have. But the problem is, if we take that failure and let it permeate in our lives, and we go and run away from it, and we say, well, I can't be used by God, I can't serve God because I have these problems. But God doesn't care about your problems, your failures, because God wants to give you forgiveness and help you to move beyond that because he has a plan for your life. He looks beyond the failures. So let's look at Moses' failure. Exodus chapter 2, starting verse 11. The Bible says, and it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men, the Hebrews, uh, strove together, and, and he said to him, that did the wrong, wherefore smilest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intended us intendest thou to kill me, as thou killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priests of uh, Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled uh, the troughs with water their to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped him and watered their flocks. And when they came to uh, Rubel, their father, he said, How is it that thou comest so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds and also drew uh, uh, water enough for us to water the flock. And he said to his daughters, and where is he? Why is he uh, that ye have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell uh, with the man. And he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter, and she bare him a son, and he called his name uh, Gersom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass in the process of time that uh, the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cries came unto the, to God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groanings. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God took upon the children of Israel 
looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you once more, Father. And Lord, ask your blessing upon the reading of your word, Father. May your word do what you said it is, a, a two-edged sword, Father, piercing deep into us to show us, Father, what you want us to see. Not just about Moses and his life, but about our life, Father, and what you expect from us and what you want from us as we serve you. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, doesn't have Christ in their heart, has not made that decision, Father, I pray today will be the day that they'll see that the only way to get past their failures and their sins is to rely upon the Savior and his love and his sacrifice on the cross. Now, Father, we ask, Lord, that you bless our time here together as we get into your word. For we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Bible's full of people that have failed. I think sometimes when we look at the Bible and we see the people in the Bible, we get kind of overwhelmed. You know, Abraham, wow, what a wonderful person. And, and, and Moses. And, but we, we forget the fact that they are all just human beings uh, who have very severe problems in some cases. Uh, Noah got drunk and exposed himself. Abraham lied. Sarah convinced Abraham to sleep with Hagar, her handmaid. He, she got pregnant, and Sarah hated her as a child. Isaac lied. Rebekah was a prostitute. Jacob deceived his father and cheated his brother out of his birthright. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband killed. The disciples, they abandoned Jesus at his crucifixion and doubted his resurrection. Peter denied Jesus and later compromised the gospel uh, out of fear of the Jewish Christians. Mark left the first missionary trip, without explanation, just left. Paul murdered Stephen and persecuted the church. All failed, but God used them anyway. Why? Because God's greater than our failures. If God didn't use these, if, if God didn't use people who ever failed, he wouldn't be able to use anybody. But here we see the, uh, Moses murdering an Egyptian and then ran away to the wilderness for 40 years. I like what D.L. Moody said about Moses. He said, Moses spent the first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent the next 40 years realizing he was a nobody. And then he spent the next 40 years seeing how God can use a nobody. But Moses was groomed to be the leader in Egypt. But he took the side of the Hebrew slaves. In Acts chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, the Bible says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit the brethren, uh, his brethren, the children of Israel. He rejected the fact that he was born in the Egyptian household to the, to the Pharaoh's daughter. And he realized that his birthright was a, 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 a child of God, and he saw the duty. And at 40 years of age, he thought that he had all the wisdom and knowledge he needed in order to rescue the people from slavery. And Hebrews 11, 24 and 25 says, By faith, Moses, when he achieved uh, two years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy pleasures of sin for a season. His heart was right, wasn't it? He didn't want the pleasures that the Pharaoh's uh, pals give him. He would rather suffer with the people because that was his people. He was right to stand with God and with God's people. 
But he went about it all wrong. And the results of his actions was spending 40 years in exile uh, so God could humble him. From a prince in a palace to a shepherd in a barren land guarding sheep that weren't even his own. Our text doesn't tell us how he felt, but he must have felt um, confused. He must have battled depression. His first attempt at leadership was a complete and utter failure. But we're going to see through through the text here that God uses people who failed trying to serve him. Look at verses 11 through 15 again. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren, and he looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian, smiting a Hebrew, and one of the brethren, one of his brethren, and he looked this way and that way, and when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together and said to him that did the wrong, Wherefore smiles thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me, as thou killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. You know, I read this someplace. It said, uh, One reason life is so hard is because it's completely opposite of what you had in school. In school... You get a lesson, and then after the lesson, you take a test. But in life, usually you have the test, then you learn the lesson. Makes it a lot more difficult, doesn't it? Moses had to learn from his failures. And most people have to learn from their failures. An old man tells a young man to make good decisions. And the young man says, well, how do I make good decisions? And the old man says, with experience. And the young man says, well, how do I get experience? And the old man says, by making bad decisions. All Christians have failed God by trying to serve him under their own power. You remember when you first got saved? When you first got saved, you're so full of the Holy Spirit, and you're so excited, and you want to witness to everybody. And pretty soon you're going out and telling everybody they need Jesus Christ, and there's sin in their life, and they need Jesus. And, you, and you're going about it the wrong way because you don't have no power of God in you. You're doing what you want to do, and sometimes you get rejected. And it's that rejection that brings us down to earth. And we realize that we're not what we think we are. And we don't have the power to do what God wants us to do. And we realize that we need God. Moses needed to understand that he needed God. He saw the Hebrews being, being uh, burdened. He saw the torture they were going through. He wanted to do something about it. I and mean, he thought he had the power to do it. So he killed the Egyptian. Then he hit his body. And then he worried about what was going to happen. That was not God's plan. God didn't want to kill the Egyptians. He wanted his people to be let go of the Egyptians. So let's learn from Moses' failure. We fail when we act only with our emotions. Standing with God's people was the right thing for Moses to do. But killing the Egyptian was an act of impulse based on his hatred. And that was not how God planned to deliver him. God doesn't want us to act on our emotions. He wants us to be open to his will. To realize that what God wants for us is more important than what we think we want. When Peter cut off the ear of the Roman soldier that was trying to arrest Jesus, he was acting under emotion. He thought he needed to protect the Lord. But that was not God's plan, was it? Jesus was to be arrested, to try, and to go to the cross. 
And when we act according to our emotions, we are making the work about ourselves, about what we want, about what, how we feel, and about what we want to do. We can't work based on how we feel. We act knowing God is in control. Emotions can betray us for good. This is my story here. Right? I'll say, I heard the gospel. I heard the gospel message. I wanted to accept the Lord as my Savior. The final call, the, the, the song came at the end of the service, and I walked the aisle, and I bowed down at the altar, and I prayed to God to save me, to forgive me of my sins, and I stood up knowing I had salvation. But I didn't. Because that decision was made purely on emotion and not on the truth of the gospel. We have to be careful about our emotions because they'll lead us in a way we don't want to go, for good or for bad. In Mark 4, 16 and 17, says, And these are they likewise which are sown on stone, stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately received it with gladness, and have no root in itself, and so endure but for a time afterwards, when affliction or persecution arise, for the world's sake, immediately they are offended." You think you have salvation. You think you've accepted it into your heart, but there's no root taking hold there. It's just an emotional feeling. Salvation service must be based on God and His will and not emotions. We fail when we attempt to do God's work by human strength. We're not told whether Moses prayed or believed he was part of God's plan at the time when he attacked the uh, Egyptian, but he attacked the problem with all he had, violence. That's all he knew. He was angry. He saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrews, and he wanted to take action. It reminded me of Gideon. When Gideon was about to go to war, take, leads God's people into war, into battle, he had 32,000 troops. But God, through a period of time, reduced it down to 300. Why? Because he didn't want people to think that Gideon was a powerful leader or the, the army was powerful. He wanted to know that the victory was the Lord's. If Moses had went in there and killed the Egyptian and led the people out, they would have been looking at Moses as a great man. But the way it happens is leaving God in control, an old man coming back who killed an Egyptian, who hid for 40 years, comes back 80 years old to lead the people out. It had to be God. God wants the victory. God wants the glory. He deserves all. Moses was too strong for God to use. He was gifted and trained. But he needed to learn that the battle doesn't depend on his skills. The battle depends on the Spirit of God moving in his life. God's will doesn't work like the world. Those who are gifted and well-trained are, are in the greatest danger because their confidence is in themselves and their ability to get the job done. The longer I preach, the more I, am, I feel unqualified the more I feel unworthy. The more I learn about this word, the more I feel like I'm less secure. And I want that. Because I want to stand up here, and I want to stand up here not because I know this, or I learned this, or I went to school, I got a master's degree. I want to stand up here because God showed this to me. I was studying the word of God. He revealed this to me, and he gave me the words to say. These are not my words, these are his words. So if anybody gets offended by how I preach or what I say, 
I have to tell you that this is God speaking through me. So if you're offended, it's because then you need to understand the relationship you have with God and what he's trying to reveal to you. This attempt at saving his people was Moses and not God's will. But we also fail when we are more concerned about what others think than what God thinks. In verse 12, it says that he looked this way and he looked that way. He wanted to make sure the coast was clear before he killed that Egyptian. He looked around. He's more concerned about being caught by man than by pleasing God because it doesn't say he looked up, did it? But it didn't say Moses prayed and looked up to God and said, God, what would you have me to do? No, he acted the way he wanted to act. To walk obediently before the Lord, you have got to care more about what he thinks than what others think. If Paul cared about what others think, if Paul cared about what others think, he wouldn't have confronted uh, Peter's hypocrisy. Uh, Peter knew the gospel. He probably knew the gospel better than anybody. He preached during the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down. But in Galatians chapter 2, Paul confronted Peter. Galatians chapter 2, starting verse 11. It says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, he, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before the certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when... They were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas was so carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest, after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou uh, to the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? See, Peter had a problem, didn't he? When Peter went by himself to go and see where Paul's work and to, to see the Gentiles who had become Christians, he, he ate with them. He spent time with them. He prayed with them. He stayed with them. But now the James and the church came with Peter, with Paul, with Peter to Antioch. He didn't do that. He separated himself from the Gentiles. Why? Because they were unclean. They were uncircumcised. They weren't Jewish. Peter knew that didn't mean, didn't mean anything. We're saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not by birthright. Not by the fact that we're Jewish. But we're saved because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and made us all equal. But Peter was acting differently when the Jews were there because he didn't want to offend them. And Paul called him out in front of them. He says, when you're here alone, you eat with the Gentiles. But now you think you need to be separated. Peter, Paul said, you need to check your gospel. He called him out. We can't, we can't worry about what others think about us. We need to worry about what God thinks about us. Too many Christians don't go and witness because you're wondering what your neighbor's going to think or, or what your co-workers are going to think if they know that you believe in God. If they're going to think you're some uh, Jesus fanatic or something. Don't worry about what people think. Worry about what God thinks about you. We also fail when we do things in our time. Moses felt he was ready. He was ready to take over. He was ready to lead the people out of Egypt. But all things must be done in God's time. King Saul. 
King Saul was worried before battle. And he wanted uh, Samuel to offer a sacrifice before they went into battle so they could have victory. But Samuel wasn't there. So Saul took it upon himself to do the sacrifice, which he shouldn't have done. He couldn't wait on the Lord. And in 1 Samuel 13, 12 through 13, the Bible says, Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down upon me at Gilgal. And I have not made supplication unto the Lord. And I feared myself, therefore, and I offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said unto Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But he couldn't wait on God. He took it in his own hands. He offered a sacrifice. He didn't wait for the priest to come. He did it. And because of that, God took his kingdom away and gave it to David. David's an example of waiting on the Lord. David had two or three opportunities in where he could have killed Saul and took the kingdom that God had already anointed him to have. But he didn't do that, did he? Why? Because he waited. Because he wanted to wait until the Lord dealt with Saul. He knew it was in God's timing, not in his own timing. We must pray and listen to the Lord, and, and he will reveal when he is ready for us to act. And, and church, time is ready to act. The Bible tells Jesus said the harvest is a ripe into harvest and the workers are few. He wants us to act now to tell people about Jesus Christ. But we also fail when we cover up our sin. I told the children, God doesn't want you to cover up your sin. He wants you to confess. Moses hid the body in a panic. He buried him. But his sin was found out. All our sin comes to light. Before God and before everybody. Moses learned a valuable lesson here. Moses warned the tribes of Gad and Reuben uh, who wanted to settle on the other side of the Jordan, but they promised to help the other tribes conquer Canaan. And he warned them. He said, but if you will not do so beyond, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will be found out. He told them. He said, you can't hide your sins from God. He knew that, didn't he? That wasn't just something Moses was saying. Moses knew he tried to hide his sin from God. God doesn't want us to hide our sin. He longs to forgive us. Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We fail when we act on our emotions. We fail when we depend upon the power, our own power. We fail when we focus on, on people instead of God. We fail when we do things in our own time. And we fail when we cover our sins. But God molds and prepares those that he uses. Look at the last part of 15 through 22. It says, But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs uh, to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when he, they, had, they came to Rubel, the, their father, he said, How is it thou come so soon to today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hands of the shepherds, and also drew water enough for us, and watered the flocks. They said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left, him, left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. 
and she bare him a son. Moses fled into Midian as a barren wasteland. What a difference that must have been for him. He had went from having everything he could ever want, servants and luxury, to being on his own with nothing. He defended rules of, uh, rules of seven daughters. And he settled down there and married, support, and had a son. His 40 years in the wilderness was a better education than he received from the smartest people in Egypt. Why? Because God needed him to learn something important. It's not how smart you are. It's not how strong you are. It's not what a great leader you are. It's whether or not you're willing to submit to my will and not yours. He's a hard case. It took him 40 years to learn that. But we must understand that it doesn't matter what we are, what failures we face. What matters is God is preparing us for service. All of our failures are made to make us what we are. Not so God can look at you and say, okay, here's what I want you to do. And you'll do this because I know what you did in the past. And if you want forgiveness, you'll do this for me. God doesn't do that way. He's not trying to trick you or trying to force you to do something. God says, here's what you are. This is what you are. This is what sin has done to your life. This is the pain and suffering that you're, you're causing the people around you because of your sin. And, but I want you to put you here in the center of my will, where it won't be easy to do what I ask you to do, but there will be blessings, there will be peace, there will be joy in your heart, there will be peace with me for all eternity. If you just submit to my will and don't do what you want to do, but for one time in your life, do what I want you to do. Luke 21, 34 through 36 says, And take heed to yourself, lest at any time your heart be overcharged with uh, surfing and with drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day uh, came upon you unawares, for as uh, as a snare shall it come upon all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all those things that shall come uh, to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Sometimes we'll have a failure in our life. Sometimes something will go wrong in our life and it just snowballs. We don't confess it. We try to cover it up. And the next thing you know, something else goes wrong and something else goes wrong. Something else goes wrong. And we get ourselves on this road where we can't seem to straighten out. We can't seem to get anything right. And we, we don't feel like we're accomplishing anything. And we, we get depressed and we get overloaded, overbearing. And it's a snare the devil has. He wants to catch you in this snare and make you feel like you're miserable and you're, and you're sad and you're depressed because you're useless. No one can use you. Look at all you've done in your life. The devil wants you to understand that you're nothing. And God says, I know what you are. And I don't care because I'm going to make you what I want you to be. I want to pull you out of yourself and set you on a rock of salvation and make you something that can be serve me to bring honor and glory to my name. In Revelation chapter 4, which we were covering in Sunday school, at the end of Revelation chapter 4, it says, God created all things and all things were made for his pleasure. We're not here for anything except to bring pleasure to God. And if you don't think your life is bringing pleasure to God, then you need to pray. 
and you need to confess and you need to turn to God, he'll say, I love you. I forgive you. I sent my son to die for you. What makes you think I don't care for you? I have something better for you. I don't care about your failures. I care about that I want to wash you white as snow. I want to put a crown on your head and a robe on you and have you at the, at the Last Supper, the supper, the, the bridal feast in, in the feast of the Lamb in heaven. Failure opens our hearts to our needs to learn from God how to overcome. And, and God is trying to teach us that failures is a way for us to learn what God wants us to be, that He has the power, that He's in control. And finally, God's faithfulness prepares his servants for the work and the work for his servants. Look at 23 through 25. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel signed signed, uh, by reason of the bondage and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage and God heard their groanings. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God looked upon them, upon the children of Israel. And God had respect unto them. This takes us back to Egypt. Pharaoh, who wanted to kill Moses, is dead. The Israelites are still suffering in bondage. And now they're crying out to God because it's gotten greater than they can bear. And this is the first time in chapter 2 where God's been mentioned. Everything else in this chapter was done according to man, Moses. Now God is on the scene. Now God is about to act. It shows that for 40 years uh, of more suffering, that God was only preparing Moses to humble him to be the leader he wanted him to be, but he was preparing the children of Israel to accept Moses as his leader. He works out all the details in our life. He takes care of all the details that we can't. He goes behind the scenes and moves people and puts places and, and things in p- position so he can believe for his glory and his honor. And in this verse, 24 and 25, we see God hears, God remembers, God looks, and God has respect. He takes notice of us. God knows their troubles, and he is concerned, and he's already begun to act by preparing Moses to be what he wanted him to be. God repeats some of the same words to Moses at the burning bush in chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. The Bible says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmaster, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good land. And a large into a land flowing with milk and honey, into the a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hittites and the uh, Jebus- Jebusites. And therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. They were crying, thinking God didn't care. But God's been working for 80 years on this plan. And he's about ready to act. God remembers his covenant. God doesn't remember our sins. He doesn't remember our failures. But he remembers our covenants. The other thing we talked about in Sunday school today. Is when John's called up into heaven. He's in the throne room. He sees the throne. He sees the magnificent light. He sees lightning and thunder and voices. And he sees fire 
And then around the throne is a rainbow. It's a symbol of God's covenant to, Mo, to, uh, to Noah to never flood the earth again and kill everyone. It's a wonderful picture because if you think about it, God is sitting on the throne and God has, he's the supreme deity. He can do whatever God wants to do. God has the power. He has his hand over everything. He created everything. He can change everything. He can move everything. He can do whatever he wants to do. But that rainbow is a symbol that he'll not go farther than his covenant. He'll not stop until his covenant comes into play. And that stops God. He stops himself. Why? Because of love he has for us. He's made a covenant with us through Jesus Christ that we're under the blood of the Savior. That we're saved by Him. Not free to sin, but to know that our sins and failures do not break the covenant that we have with God. Moses failed in his first attempt, but Jesus never failed. And Jesus was rejected by His people, but He always did the things that were pleasing to the Father. Jesus came to deliver us from sin. And our service, like our eternal life, is based completely upon Him. So don't let your failures stop you from serving God. Because if you look hard enough, you will feel his love. You will see his working presence in your life to make you the servant he wants you to be in the times that he gives you. But we must be trusting, obedient, and ready to give God the glory. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Church, it's so easy for us to think we're failures. When I answered a call to preach, I went to school and I got my bachelor's degree and I waited. And I was waiting for some church to call me to preach. And I went to a few churches and I preached a few sermons and, and I just kept waiting. I couldn't figure out why God wasn't moving. So I went back to school, got my master's degree. I knew the calls were going to start rolling in. Nobody called. But I did get the chance to meet some pastors and to, to fill in their pulpit for, for times when they had to, had to take off. And I appreciate that. I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And it didn't seem like it was ever going to come. And I thought, something's wrong. I've done something wrong. I, this is not right. This is not what it's supposed to be. It took me a long time to realize that what I wanted was not what God wanted. And that's hard to do sometimes. Because we get it in our mind that God's going to work this way. And he's going to move right now. And God says, no, 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 no. My plan is this. And I want to see how well you wait on me. And he told me, you're not ready. You have the knowledge, but you don't have the heart. You have the understanding, but you don't have the spirit. I still don't think I have the spirit. But God's working. God's moving. Church, don't let, don't let your, your failures think that you're not able to be used by God. Because it's not true. God loves you. He's made a plan for you. He's working through your failures and creating you uh, an attitude, a humbleness that will make you fit to be used by the King of kings and Lord of lords. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, today's the day. He has a plan for you. He loves you like no other. 
You'll never find anything to satisfy you in this world. The only thing you need is to know that he wants to wash you white as snow, to forgive you of your sins and your failures, so that you can stand before him whole and acceptable unto God because you've accepted the pardon that Christ offered you at Calvary. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray now, Father, for you to touch our hearts. Father, we're looking at this sermon, these series of sermons on Moses to understand your love for us, how you use us despite of ourselves, how you're working in our lives, that you're looking past our failures to something more important that you want us to accomplish. But we can't do that, Father, until we get out of ourselves step fully into your will. Father, forgive our sins. Help us to move past what we want to do and what we are to be what you want us to be. Help us to see that obedience is more important than sacrifice. And you want us to be obedient to you and your word. Father, we love you and we thank you. For we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.